Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, and you're very welcome to this week's edition of the group chat from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio as ever by news correspondents Zara King and Richard Chambers. Guys, hello. hello. How are How's you? Going? Uh, you had a very busy Tuesday night. You we did. Salubrious we were hosting the Irish Podcast Awards, which was actually lovely to be asked. Good stuff. Very nice. You were Celebrate the, the industry and all. I was, yeah. Some, something else going on, but thankfully all, all, all good on that front. I had you a good evening. I really enjoyed it actually Richard did you enjoy it it was good fun yeah it's good yeah. some very worthy winners and um, yeah some really great podcasts actually it was great for even just you know yeah. finding new podcasts to listen to I mean just the depth and breadth of different types of podcasts yeah. Yeah. which are out there it was really good yeah good really well, nice to have like, kind of a showcase of it because it's such a such a rich little field out there at the moment of, of so much content and uh, always grateful that people choose to spend some other time with us as well and it was there was 26 awards actually and we flew through them I think we got them all given out in an hour which honestly I think we're very efficient was very efficient <laughs> we are very efficient there are things to be doing yeah. with your shoes the evening so you kind of yeah. get this all done but exactly. now, now a nice way to spend a Tuesday night uh, Richard you had a really interesting weekend as well because you spent uh, a lot of time with some uh, at a very emotional emotionally charged yeah. Dublin airport yeah it was an incredible weekend um one of my favourite weekends now in, in the course of work and just uh-huh. outside of work I've had a long, in a long, long time. Uh, Ibrahim and his family uh, made it back as well as a lot of other families coming from Gaza, uh, finally back home. And yeah, it was just incredible. Um, great to see him in the flesh. Uh, it was kind of like a nice to meet you old friend sort of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. you're, you, you've been friends with somebody for ages and you've had like conversations at two or three o'clock in the morning with them sometimes and you never know if you're going to hear from them again or mm. let alone ever see them. So to see him walking through the, oh, the airport yeah. doors was kind of really? incredible. Well, like, and to be there with his family as well when it happened. It just, it was a whirlwind then of a weekend um, yeah. really as it all transpired. But, but it was, it was, it was just really uplifting stuff. Yeah. In the middle of so much darkness. Really. Well, it, it must have really felt that way because it was only this time last week where you were talking about some of the messages you'd had with Ibrahim and his family but when there was the risk of the communications blackouts and you openly said there were times where he was going to send you his GPS coordinates so mm. that if things went dark and there was no sign, mm. yeah. this is where he and his family would find be them, yeah. And then within a matter of days of sharing that with us, there he is in the arrivals hall at Dublin Airport. Like what? Just what a roller coaster that is. It was wild, yeah. And like he was just, he was delighted to be able to just, you know, share his story not through a smartphone for a change yeah. so you know met him at the airport he wanted to go straight into the the national demonstration in city centre so literally straight off the plane straight into the demonstration and then after that I gave him a spin back into the, to his house <laughs> uh, for, for an interview with us for Virgin Media uh, which you, was really lovely Chatty taxi driver I was actually, yeah, and it is. It's so interesting because um, his dad-in-law who came back uh, with him from mm-hmm. Gaza um, a lot of the stuff on the way in was just kind of new and novel mm. uh, to him in terms of things like even average speed cameras in Dublin Port Tunnel, stuff you don't <laughs> have in Gaza, oh uh, sat-nav and things like that. And it, again, it just brings again just how different the world Gaza is to the rest of the world as a result of sanctions and as a result of mm. blockades and multiple wars at this point. But we had a lovely welcome uh, by the Alaga family when we turned up at the house. Uh, myself and Conan, the cameraman, the had a great outfit. All this time, um, pretty much like the family, like the, his brother and his parents live up the way. Okay, 
so they were obviously able to come in and, and do a Can few bits and bobs but it was great we have um, the full extended interview a lot of people reacting to, to what Ibrahim said to us over the weekend it's mm. been actually it's supercharged sharing from around the world yeah. today by people who are very much on the, the Palestinian issue just about particularly around um, he talked about when he met Irish diplomats when the, the family crossed into Rafa for the first time and the first thing the Irish diplomats had for them was food and water and he gave Sammy his, his, his eldest boy an eight year old boy a uh, bottle of water to drink and Sammy turned to him and asked am I okay am I allowed to drink anymore because obviously in the house oh, God. they had to ration water and it wasn't yeah. clean water anyway and that's something which was you know deeply affecting yeah. The fact that, you know, it, it has had a huge impact on Ibrahim and on Hamida, his wife. Consider it little boy that he would think to of others not to drink all of it. And it is. And that's that's the thing. And, and Sammy, Ibrahim speaks in the interview at length about, you know, how Sammy has been affected. Sammy came into us actually in Virgin Media for a look he's around. Gonna new, he's yeah. going to be a new anchor. Yeah. Sammy, 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 us by Christmas. Sammy is a remarkable kid. Sammy is, um, he is dreams of being a journalist and he has done oh. for weeks. And I remember saying weeks ago, to him when he was in Gaza through, through his dad like if you want to come in we can show you around the place mm. once you're back yeah. and this is something he's clearly held on to <laughs> yeah. and on Saturday evening um, Ibrahim mentioned it to Sammy again it's like do you remember Richard said you might come in and you might have a look at the, the TV studio and mm. he was oh like God, he so I'm coming out tomorrow so I'm coming out tomorrow <laughs> and he didn't leave Ibrahim <laughs> so alone announced straight away that he was coming didn't out. leave him alone yeah. until he was going out and he was at a great time there wasn't a camera in here he hadn't pushed around uh, he sat in Tommy Brilliant. Martin C for Champions League footage uh, he's, he's, it's great to see them back it is a very difficult situation for them Ibrahim found out that another cousin of his was killed uh, literally on the morning he arrived back I would really encourage people to listen to the, the full interview which we're going to release I think on Friday morning probably yeah, on the podcast yeah, feed Friday, yeah. um, particularly just to leave it at this there's also a very interesting story which Ibrahim tells about how he uh, arrived in Ireland in the first place and there's a weird symmetry between the reason and how he ended up in Ireland this time or in 2008 with how he got out of it, um, of Gaza this time around uh, basically an evacuation under a war of a similar type oh, wow. um, and uh, he has a huge amount of gratitude and love for this country and I think that from what I've seen from the messages that people have sent on uh, there's a huge amount of love for him and his family uh, going in the reverse direction as well. I mean, it's just an incredibly warm, uh, unmalicious, um, very special family mm. who have, you know, not an ounce of hate or revenge or anything in their body. And I'm just very happy that he's back and that he's sharing a story. And I'm happy for all of the families who have had reunions yeah. over the course of the next of the last weekend. And hopefully there'll be more reunions to come. Uh, of a different kind in the next number of yeah. days and weeks. And we'll talk about that in a second. Like you said, there was huge interest in the, the clip that you're the report that you did for Sunday evenings, Virgin Media News. That's obviously on your socials and we will put that on the podcast feed on Friday morning, that full chat that you had with Ibrahim after he got home last weekend. Um, we mentioned reunions and Zara, this is a, a very fluid situation as we're recording here on Wednesday afternoon. There are some reports circulating about which we have reason to be a little bit cautious, but obviously with the news of there being a ceasefire and prospective hostage releases, this is also going to be a very emotionally charged time. It is. So like we've spoken to Tom Hand on the podcast before and again last week we've kind of been chatting to him every week. Um, obviously he's hoping that Emily is going to be on the list and at the time of recording the list has not been published. Uh, there was a list circulating throughout the afternoon which we've uh, gone back and spoken to multiple sources who've said that the that's not the accurate list. And obviously the families are hoping as well that they will get a heads up before the list goes public. Um, Tom has been in Ireland. He's been in New York. He's uh, in London, sort of, you know, waiting desperately and hoping that he can, you know, see Emily very, very soon. But did have a chance to chat to him very briefly this morning about how he feels about the ceasefire and how he feels about the possibility of Emily being released. And here's what he had to say. 
we we can't allow ourselves to think about any deal uh, until we see her beautiful blue eyes looking directly at me. Uh, we're still concerned about the conditions where she was kept, how much it will affect her and for how long. We are, of course, hopeful she might be one of the first to be released because of her age, you know, between eight and nine. But we're also prepared for that she might be one of the last. Are you heading back to Israel now in anticipation for her release? No, we're going to carry on with the campaign until we have absolute definite news, information, official news and information that she is being released and then we'll I'll fly off on the next flight. But when she's released, uh, you know, she's going to be handed over to the Red Cross. And then from, from the Red Cross, she'll be brought into Israel and then... When she gets into Israel, the first thing they're going to do is obviously put her in a hospital, take care of any physical conditions, and start the process of uh, fixing her mentally. So, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, a long, slow process. Do you think that this is the first time you've had any sort of hope in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. This is the, 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 the best hope that we've had for a month and a half, whatever it is, I can't remember today. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely the best news. But but then again, like I say, anything could go wrong between now and the, the, re the release of the first hostages to the last. Um, so uh, we, we've had this type of news before, you know, rumours and stuff. So we've been up high and then we get crashed down to the ground so we're i've told my son and daughter and family to keep a level head i have to stay strong with however i whatever method i find to give me strength and carry on do we know yet when the list or whoever do we know who's making the list is it the israelis will make the list or hamas or who gets to decide who's on the list do we know I guess it would be, and I'm only guessing it would be uh, a combination of the um, Red Cross and the Hamas. They they would be the only two people I can I believe in. There'd be no army. There'd be no government. The Red Cross is is the key. Okay, and we don't know yet when that list will be out, do we? Possibly this afternoon. Possibly. Okay. If everything goes to plan, possibly this afternoon. Okay, Tom. Well, look, I really hope that Emily's on the list and I really hope that you get to see her very, very soon. And thank you so much again for giving us another update. We do really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Zara. Thank you. Thank you for speaking Thanks, to me. So that was this morning having a chance to talk to Tom and I just, I hope by the way that while you're watching this that there has been an update and I hope mm. that she's on the list um, and we will bring those updates across our social media channels as well um, as soon as we get it. It is just, just illustrative to interrupt you but it, it's illustrative at the time of recording and that even the families involved how fluid the situation is mm. where they don't know who's compiling the list they yeah. don't know at what point it's all going to kick in 
it just goes to illustrate how much of this is still yet to have the dust settle on it at the time I, that we're recording. Absolutely. And it's even when he talks about how they've had so many highs and lows, you know, he talks about the fact that you have to remember this is a man who was told his daughter was dead and believed that for a number of weeks. So I think that, you know, you have to empathise and understand that Tom Hand, until he physically touches his daughter and holds her in his mm. arms, it's very difficult for him to take on board anything else. Hard to believe anything yeah, until, you, until you have her in front of you again, I suppose. Yeah. Um, all of the situation is very fluid, but it's also very fragile as well. I think that's something we should bear in mind as a lot of talk about, you know, just that the fact that this is good news, that there is a ceasefire, oh. ceasefire deal agreed, uh, which should come into effect on Thursday morning. The terms of the deal um, are interesting and this is what it is. So basically, obviously, 50 women and children currently held captive by Hamas uh, are going to be released. In return, 150 women and children uh, held in Israeli prisoners, they're going to be released. There'll be a four-day pause, as they say, in terms of Israeli actions in Gaza. That will also include the flying of surveillance drones over Gaza. Um, After that point, the Israeli government has been very, very adamant that it is not the end of the war, that once the four days is over uh, and there is no further exchange of prisoners, that if anything, they will intensify their efforts which is something to, to to keep an eye on as well. They say that there'll be further humanitarian convoys and relief aid over the course of the four days. Um, they'll allow people to travel south uh, through Gaza along the Salah al-Din Road. Uh, if there is to be any further exchange of prisoners, if you exchange, if Hamas exchange 10 hostages, an extra 10 hostages, they buy themselves an extra day of ceasefire in Gaza as well. Mm. Um, interesting, as you mentioned, Gav, the, the, the fact about why is this not introduced yeah, immediately. A lot of people might have thought they might have woken up on Wednesday morning to push alerts from some of the news websites and they might have or heard stayed right, up till d- half one in the morning if you were me. Well look you were at a podcast awards so the <laughs> yeah. adrenaline was still coursing through yeah. your veins. A lot of them will wonder well why would you wait 24 hours or more you know the, the talk is that it's going to be 10am local time before this actually kicks mm-hmm. in. Why the delay? Well this is because of an Israeli law and effectively what it means is an Israel uh, published 300 names of Palestinian women and children held in their jails many of them who have been arrested over the last uh, number of weeks in the West Bank, uh, which is an area of um, Palestine which has, you know, seen an upsurge in violence, an upsurge in uh, the displacement of Palestinian people in recent weeks, which has obviously not seen as much focus as Gaza for obvious enough reasons. But these women and children, their names have been published. They're currently in Israeli jails. Uh, But there is a law in Israel that means that if there is to be any release of Palestinian prisoners, there is a window there for people to challenge the release of those prisoners in the country's courts. So that is there and that is currently there. I don't know what the prospects are, and none of us really do, of somebody challenging the release of any of these prisoners, but they have a list of 300. Of course, it's 150 of those names will then go on to be released. But that's why there's no immediate ceasefire, even though the ceasefire is something that people have been calling for for a long time. There's been huge international pressure. And actually, there's an interesting report. There's a really, really in-depth report on Politico um, the the US politics website about how the Biden administration, the US government fits into all this because obviously they were one of the key facilitators of this deal. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, just an interesting nugget of information in this is that the US government is concerned about the ceasefire in an indirect way or at least some people in the administration are concerned about it okay. because they believe that it'll allow more journalists into Gaza to report on everything that's happened in there, the amount of damage, the humanitarian catastrophe that's unfolding there and that that could further sour American attitudes towards Israel's 
actions in Gaza. But that's such an it's, it's a very explicit concern of theirs. Like it's a motivating factor against um, among some people who spoke off the record to Politico. That's a concern that people within the administration do have. But I think that's yeah. very interesting. I put up the link on, online earlier on, but it's interesting just to see how this diplomacy is happening. I would. I was just going to say, I do think as well, like there's a, and you talked about it as well, Gavin, like, there is actually a fragility here though that mm. the ceasefire needs to hold as well. You mm. know what I mean? That like somebody can't step out of line here. You know what I mean? Like it's, we need to understand that as much as there's a level of diplomacy here on the ground, you know, it all it takes is one one person to make a mistake and the whole thing collapses. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and we're, we're talking on the premise that this will be a four day deal which is delivered and you might hope that peace for four days becomes peace for a week two weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks, four weeks, that, that, you know, the idea of a permanent ceasefire is at least achievable if you have a, a momentary pause in hostilities. But it's but definitely not on the cards yet. But you, very but much not, on the Not only that, but you do have to deliver the four days first. Yes. Like you said, it's very but easy for... But I would for, say that every minute of every hour of those four days are going to be like knife edge. You know what I mean? Really, really. Yeah. Well, it's, it's worth remembering as well that the last time that there was any proximity or feeling there was a proximity to a deal uh, which would see a cessation of violence was literally in the hours before Israel began, began the land invasion of Gaza, that there was a huge amount of progress that the Qatari side, who have been effectively the Go key, please, yeah. uh, the, the, the people who have broached this deal, um, that they reported huge confidence that a deal would be struck in the coming hours only for then it to fall apart um, or apparently fall apart and Israel to move in then with, mm. with the land invasion. So there's also questions, that we're having conversations outside as well about how much of this deal is agreed by Hamas's representatives who are speaking to Qatar and Egypt in Qatar who are based in Qatar versus Hamas on the ground in Gaza because there has been a disconnect at different times. The negotiators basically have the authority or that they can deliver on something that they're talking about in a boardroom somewhere else and how that relates to what's going on on the ground. Yeah, and communications in Gaza is very, very difficult as we've as we found out multiple times. Because you're literally talking about people being like in underground tunnels in Gaza, like let's be honest as well, trying to communicate. Yeah, and the mobile network has had multiple problems. The fuel there is still not getting through. Anything which is getting through is dribs and drabs. Hopefully more gets through at this point in time. Uh, but also worth bearing in mind, until we have the ceasefire, there is still bombings going on. There's still ground operations going on. There has been an intensification actually of airstrikes in southern Gaza, uh, which has, of course, caused more suffering than for the ordinary people of Gaza. Uh, there's a fair chance, if you hadn't heard the name already, of Javier Mille, uh, that you might have heard it in the last couple of days. And to be honest, even if you haven't heard his name, you might well have seen some memes with people saying what he looks like because of his slightly unorthodox uh, personal grooming, his sideburns, his hairdo. Uh, he's going to be a very influential man because he's just been elected as president of Argentina. And, um, Richard, I don't mean to be too pejorative, but the very fact that his nickname is El Loco tells you a lot about his approach to life. Sure does. Uh, El Loco... Well, it translates effectively as the madman, doesn't it really? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, Javier Mille is an eccentric character. He's one who has based his populism uh, very much in the model of Donald Trump, but probably a little bit more madcap if you want to go around that sort of, that sort of you know, mm. t- train of mind. Uh, he's, a, he's a 53-year-old man, right? Uh, self-identified as an anarcho-capitalist. Um, his People might have seen videos of him, you know, with a whiteboard of government departments and 
mm-hmm. uh, just ripping them off, saying he's going to just get rid of all these abolish departments. All of them. Just yeah. abolish these departments, which mm-hmm. is an easy thing to do. So um, Department of uh, Environment and Sustainable Development, abolish. Department of Tourism and Sports, abolish. So wait, he just feels that they're not necessary. Like, or yeah, okay. his, his thing is that the government should be much smaller and just almost shouldn't He just exist. wants to save a few bob by closing down a few departments. And then if there's no departments for people to come and complain, then I guess... Well, I suppose his, his argument is probably that the state should be as small as it absolutely needs to be. And that if he doesn't think that there's a pressing need for the government Isn't to do Argentina these things... Argentina quite a big country? I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. There'd, yeah. There'd be a case yeah. for having a lot of those things, but he obviously thinks there's a case for getting rid of them, which is why he's, he's infamously trying to slash down all the spending, which is why people may have seen some videos of him wielding a chainsaw. The chainsaw being a, a literal, a very visual depiction of what he proposes to do yeah. with state spending. Give you back your money, cut taxes, cut down on state spending. Mm-hmm. That's his approach to things. So, uh, I mean, amongst the policies he's pushed forward, eliminating the central bank, switching the nation's currency from the Argentinian peso to the US dollar, amongst other what? economic measures. Yeah, yeah. He wants to get rid of the, the Argentinian when, when peso. You, when, you say no that, when you say it out loud in isolation, it does sound like a pretty wild no, idea. No, that's, I'm it? sorry. That's, that's not... We're only getting started, Zara. Right. We have a long way to <laughs> okay. go here. Uh, he I, also, I didn't read up on this before we started we'll this book, item, book so I'm, that, I'm excited we'll come back to why he, he has also rallied against sex education in schools. He's pledged to curb abortion access and rejected climate science as a socialist conspiracy. Uh, but mostly, I think it's just his general demeanour and um, oddness in a pejorative sense mm. uh, that people have sort of, you know, taken to him and have commentated on. Uh, you mentioned the chainsaw, for example, Gav, uh, his relationship with his dogs is uh, particularly yeah. noteworthy, I think. Because the, the dogs, it's dogs plural in that he has multiple dogs, but they're all Please clones. Please tell me the relationship with the dogs is above board. They are clones of the be. same dog. All Sorry? of his dogs now are clones of his previous dog. So his dog was Conan, named after Conan the Barbarian. And he was so fond of this dog that after the aforementioned original dog died, first of all, he claims that the dog appeared to him in a dream, posthumously, and encouraged him to run for president of Argentina and that this was his calling to seek the office. Uh, but since I mean, then... my late dog does appear to me in dreams sometimes, but I mean... <laughs> does he pass you on no, political messages? No, There's no like no. heraldic poetic ashlings in no. your dream telling you what to do. No. He's But he's had the dog cloned multiple times. So his pets are all the same dog. Like genetically? He, genetically. He, he also claims that he met his dog Conan named after Conan the Barbarian 2000 years ago when he was a gladiator in Rome. <laughs> This is not yes. real. This is and not the real. pair did not fight because they were destined to join forces in the future, uh, which he says he took as a as an as a as a portent of his future presidential run alongside Conan. This the man dog. is running Argentina. Uh, he will be from the fifth of December. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The idea about abolishing the, the currency, like you were aghast at that. You were like, how, well, I how thought, that, oh, I thought it couldn't get worse than that, but incidentally, it has actually. <laughs> well, see, well, it's a, the reason for his thinking is that um, Argentina is in the middle of like runaway hyperinflation. Like it, it's almost at the point of like you know nineties Zimbabwe or nineteen thirties Germany. Like it, it's completely fallen to bits. Like the okay. the inflation rate this year is projected to be somewhere in the region of 140%. So when you think about how quickly money is devaluing, there's a real problem there. And lots of other Latin and Southern American countries have had that experience over time. If your currency is just cratering in value, how do you level it off? Brazil had loads of different experiments which resulted in them having two different currencies in parallel at the same time. And they, they introduced one to be stable and then abolished the other. His idea is rather than doing all of that, just adopt the US dollar. Just decide instead of having a loaf of bread that might be 100 pesos today and 150 tomorrow and 200 the day after, just charge it in dollars. Just get rid, abolish the country's central bank because again, smaller government and just use the US dollar instead. Which is a... Is that is that kind of... 
is it going full circle back to genius or where are we at with that? <laughs> there, there is there is a rationale for it. Uh, it is untested in a country of this size that you basically just outsource all fiscal policy because like, okay, granted, he might say this is the best way to rescue the Argentinian economy. But if you peg yourself to another currency or if you basically make yourself entirely dependent on that, if America were mismanaged at some time in the future and the value of the dollar disappears, then you just end up importing the same problem with no ability to influence the solution. Right. Mm. So it, it's, a, it's a tricky thing to get right. But it is also interesting, Richard, from the perspective that there was this narrative or this feeling that the tide had gone out on the far right and that leaders like that had had their day. Uh, Trump, the defeat uh, of Bolsonaro. Well, he's leading, Trump's leading the polls again. Um, I think that would that would have been premature if people did think that mm. the the threat of far right had gone away. You know, had gone away. Just a couple more uh, melee. Oh, thank you. Bits oh, sorry, there's more. Yeah, there's a few more there bits. Be more. Uh, he's described Pope Francis, of course, a hero in his native Argentina, as a filthy leftist and an imbecile. <laughs> Uh, he has hailed American gangster Al Capone as a hero. Spicy. Uh, he Al also a hero. Yeah, Al Capone he wants people hero. to be able to sell their own vital organs as a way of raising uh, capital for themselves. Uh, he describes all his dogs as his children uh, and his best strategists, and that he does take political advice. Well, one of them is clearly his, his political doyen or his, his maven, his muse. His dog. He's also um, he's unmarried. He has a girlfriend, but he says he suggested that his uh, sister might be his first lady because she ran his campaign for him. Um, so yeah, look, he's um, weird. he's weird. been he's been well. Um, his his victory has been celebrated and hailed by the likes of Bolsonaro mm. and by the likes of Donald Trump, who's described himself as being very proud that Mr. Mille has ended up in the highest office uh, in the land in Argentina. Um, but it does speak to um, just the corrosive nature of politics like this can be that it will further erode trust in the political system. Mm. That again, it 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 leads to this view that there is um, a deep state of civil servants and judges there who are there to be rooted out and that they're against the interests of the vast majority of the public and that they that there's only a one-man saviour who can go in there mm. and rip them out and uproot yeah. them. Um, and that's something we've seen before and we've seen multiple times and it is uh, something which... But the bottom line yeah. here is that somebody voted for him. People voted for him. It's big numbers, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, so I mean, like... That's a bigger lesson in how people are feeling and thinking. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's a clear message from the voters there that they, I mean, I suppose a lot of voters I find and, you know, you find it yourself when you cover elections, like the thing that people will say, no matter which election it is, time after time, they'll say they want change, they want change, they want change. Mm -hmm. And whether that change can be delivered by the, you know, sitting parties that are currently in government or whether it has to be brand new to, to get change. Change is always the key word, but that's quite an extreme. Yeah. That's well, quite an extreme oh. move for James. Yeah, you just found oh, another found part another of his manifesto oh God, you want to share with fact. us. He has previously signalled Ireland as a country he would like to mo model Argentina on. Mm, yes. It's, a, it's yeah. a Celtic miracle, he told The Economist back in September. He's never been here. It was one of the most <laughs> miserable countries in Europe and today it's one of the best in Europe with a GDP per capita of 120,000. Yeah, well, he's not trying to rent a two-bed right. semi-D in Dublin. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Probably could on the salary he's going to inherit now. Uh, but no, you're right, like he did. He won pretty comfortably. It was 50, it just, that's what 55 percent like, 45. People put him there, is what I'm saying. And he defeated the guy who was the existing finance minister in the last government. So it really was a case of like continuity versus change. And people mm. quite clearly materially did decide change, uh, which is even more remarkable because um, Argentina is one of those countries that has a first round and then a runoff. So if nobody yeah. gets 50% first time, they bring the top two forward. And the, like first time around, he was beaten. That the the outgoing finance minister, yeah. Sergio Massa, um, beat him fairly comfortably in the first round. So everyone thought, oh, well, this will be a novelty, but he's surely not going to win second time around if he got out polled. But clearly he just hoovered up all of this 
anti-government sentiment. And now he's been driven in with this massive mandate and this massive opportunity to to do some pretty remarkable things on okay. the back of it. But surely when we look at, say, common sense prevailing, right? I just want to say this. Surely, surely, surely this is a like, this is sort of an example, a warning shot of how, you know, maybe it's not always, change is not always, you know, be careful what you wish for is what I'm trying to say. Like surely, yeah. you know, when you end up with a leader in your country who is citing their dog as mm. their best political advisor, you might look back at the old ballot box and think to yourself, things went a bit awry there. There is that argument as well that people get tamed when they end up in the actual office. Yeah. You campaign as being a loco and when you end up there, you find things are a little bit more difficult. Mm. Uh, I will say just further research on this man over <laughs> the last couple of minutes. Oh, okay. Javier Mille, who has an image consultant, which is shocking in itself. That, if, if you've seen pictures of Javier Mille, that in itself is remarkable. Uh, well, to give you a picture, if you haven't seen him, uh, his, his, um, the, his image consultant conceived his unorthodox hairdo um, as being a cross between Elvis Presley and Wolverine from the X-Men. He does look um, like uh, so, Wolverine gone into retirement. Yeah, it says it Wolverine is very loyal and brave and he can get really mad and aggressive just like Javier. Well, the one the one closing <laughs> thought then is that I just presumed that, that was a natural look that had been fermented over time. But if a consultant came up with this combination of quiff and uh, pointy sideburns, uh, maybe it suggests that he is open to some outside thinking and that maybe he might be uh, softened down by the practicalities of having to run the country uh, but we'll see because it'll be an interesting petri dish for for how it's possible to run a government by trying to slim down yeah thing well I think slim down is, slim down is even the almost the most polite way of putting it yeah. like this is this is dismantling this is yeah. I mean you're looking at the Trump model and the Bolsonaro model and potentially putting it on steroids effectively yeah. uh, in terms of what Miele pushes forward um, and it does it is as you say Gavin it is a sign that that level of populism and that particular firebrand um, level of Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That is certainly not dead. It seems like the sort of thing that's been discussed for ages, uh, but it's remarkable that we're one of the only countries in the EU that doesn't do it, at least up until now. There are now finally plans underway to link unemployment assistance to the income that you had before you got laid off. So we're presently, right now, everyone in the country gets a flat rate of 220 euro, maybe more if you've got dependent children. That in future, the amount of dole you get, at least for a few months, will be linked to how much you previously earned. The thinking being that if you're on an average full-time salary, 47 or 48,000 euro a year, the idea of suddenly being asked to live on 220 euro a week is a bit unthinkable mm-hmm. and that they need to soften it down. Uh, for, what do you think of it? Are you surprised it's taken this long to come around to? 
I actually, well, first of all, I think it's quite a good idea, obviously, in terms of, you know, supporting people through a difficult time. And it's it's incremental, isn't it? So it's three months. It's the first three months. Yeah, three months would be uh, capped at 450 a week, then 375 okay. and then 300. And then only after nine months, you drop down to the baseline rate. Yeah, I mean, look, I think like we've talked many times about the cost of living on this podcast. We've talked about how much it's costing people to rent, to live, to fund everything, you know, losing your job. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you end up finding yourself probably very vulnerable to homelessness mm. and vulnerable to like, you know, your life really collapsing. So I think it's certainly a welcome idea. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't come up before now. Why now? Uh, why? Not? I think that there's, you know, that old shanuckle of like Nihail on the Greek and on the Skull, like basically don't go thatching the roof on a windy day. They basically do it while things are generally levelled off. I think there's an attitude that now that the public finances are relatively stable and also unemployment is pretty low like it's at 4.8% which mm. is like almost statistically zero there's very few people who are out of work and who are unable to find work the thinking is let's do it now rather than at a time when unemployment is already at 6, 7 or 8% there's a lot of people falling out of work and then you find yourself with a higher bill now of course conversely that means that if there's suddenly some some economic bad day somewhere in the future some rainy day where you have a bit like 2008, 9, 10, mm. tens of thousands of people losing their job every week. Mm. The bill on the stage could be pretty significant if that were to happen again. But I think the reason why they're doing it now is like, well, let's introduce it while it ostensibly doesn't cost us much and hope that if there is ever a rainy day, that it's a more gradual one rather than the car crash that it was in 28, 2008, 9, 10. Yeah, it's interesting. What's the general feeling around parties in the doll about whether or not they'd support this. <laughs> well, everyone, everyone seems in favour of the idea. Uh, what was interesting, and I don't know whether this was just a case of him not being fully briefed on it, but um, this was announced by Heather Humphreys on Monday. Well, sorry, it was announced on Monday that she would be bringing it to Cabinet on Tuesday, which mm. means they got to announce it twice. Um, but uh, I was at a press do with Ona Brin that afternoon. Granted, he's not the social protection spokesman, but I said, listen, what do you make of this idea of linking your income to uh, mm. previous earnings? And he said, oh, we'll have to look at the detail. Which, fair enough, okay, the devil the devil is in the detail, but most of the detail was already out. And Sinn Féin previously have called for there to be a link between unemployment benefits and the likes mm. and the amount that you previously earned. And of course, right now there's unemployment assistance and benefit and the benefit is slightly higher. So if you've paid more PRSI, you kind of get it that way anyway. I think there's almost universal agreement about it. Um, so I don't think it'll be terribly long in getting through Leinster House when it does come. It's just been something that's been in the works for so long that actually kind of legislating for it or actually sort of putting it on the books might be something that takes a little bit longer. Actually, on a related note, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon and it was confirmed on Wednesday lunchtime. This follows up from something we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, actually. Do you remember we were talking about that all-party Iraq uh, support about raising the pension age to 75? Mm. Oh, yeah. Government says we're keeping that at 66. Stunned. Right. Which, Just as we predicted they would. Which, well, which in itself is significant because do you remember they were talking about raising it to 67 and 68 and we're like we were all on the beat for the last general election. Mm-hmm. It became a huge election issue Massive, because the yeah. plan was to raise yeah. it over time to 68. Now they're yeah. saying, no, not doing that. And they're going to fund it by making very small increases to PAYE or PRSI rather, which will cost about a euro a week, but that they reckon if they basically do that to every taxpayer that you eventually sort of get the money back. Um, I'm a little bit surprised almost that the the big solution to something which dominated the last election was just kind of snuck out there in leaders' questions on a Wednesday afternoon and no one sort of having this big uh, about what's going on. I was say a week is a long time in politics. That was a couple of years ago and I think the cycle changes and you know, even when you come closer to election there'll be things that'll have happened in the run-up to that that will become mm-hmm. big election issues that maybe they drift off the agenda again. Um, I do, like the point you make earlier though about the fact that, you know, if there was to be a mass layoff mm-hmm. of the population, you know, if there was to be another crash, like it's hard to see how they would sustain that. Even if you think back to say, 
what was the name of the payment everyone got during COVID? Oh my God. Yeah, the pandemic unemployment payment. The pandemic unemployment That was the prompt payment. for this. Yeah. Because basically, remember when that came in and then there was it was tiered. It was sort of somewhat linked to what your previous salary was. Yeah. Basically, they've acknowledged that's a meritocracy idea. That's why they should do this now. Okay. That, that's where the ideas sort of come from. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's also obviously a lot of uh, navel gazing about Stephen Kenny, which we're not going to go into here. But there was, uh, that is unfortunately, obviously, to some degree, Richard, overshadowed some of the navel gazing that there was in the aftermath of last Sunday's FAI Women's Cup final, uh, which took place in Tala uh, under a crowd, which unfortunately didn't come anywhere near matching the crowd that was at the men's match previously. Sure. But some really impassioned comments afterwards from the manager of the winning team from Athlone. No, he's the, he's the chairman of the, the club, Michael O'Connor. Okay. Um, and he was just talking about how um, the sports minister um, will turn up at anything. Um, we'll turn up at events, you know, promoting women's sport and men's sport. We'll go over to the Women's World Cup, for example. Mm. Uh, but it was very, very strange indeed that there was no representative from the government at the FAI Women's Cup final, particularly as we're having, you know, this, uh, you know, this this this, uh, this timeline where we're promoting women's mm. football. We're trying to encourage, mm. you know, attendance at women's football. But there was no statement or there was no attendance by the sports minister at that. So n- neither Catherine Martin nor Thomas Byrne were in Thala for that, despite... All and Sundry being in the Aviva the week previously. No, and the game itself was great. There was a great penalty shootout in there, which is always fun when when it sends to the pure chaos uh, penalty shootout. Uh, it's always better when shells lose finals as well. Very enjoyable. So I think I was pretty happy with that. Fan of the well, well done to Athlone Town. Well deserved. Um, great scenes of the homecoming as well, actually, which is very nice to see. Yeah. But it is, it was. Um, it comes obviously the weekend after the FAI, the men's cup final at Lansdowne Road with the biggest attendance on record for domestic uh, football game here. So there's clearly an upswell in interest in the domestic game in this country. It is not being matched in terms of political will and financial support that uh, Michael O'Connor in what he was saying as the Athlone Town chairman saying, um, you know, this is amazing what's happening in our leagues, both men's and women's, Mm. in terms of fans travelling around the country, uh, seeing Irish talent uh, coming through and making their way into the international setups as well. Mm. But there's no funding there. He said in his words that we are drowning in Irish football domestically, that the support isn't there, that you're seeing money going to greyhound racing, horse racing, a GA, women's GA. And of course, he made the point as well that he wasn't begrudging mm. any of these sports, having financial supports. But football is in every community in this country. It is the easiest sport to take part in in terms of equipment and whatnot. It just needs a little bit of a leg up. Um, And at a time when people are moaning and griping about what's happening with the senior men's international team, Mm. rightly so, the results have been very, very poor. We we are seeing probably the end of Stephen Kenny as the Ireland manager. There is a deep-rooted problem now because of a lack of investment and a lack of support for our domestic game. And it's like, you're, you're having people, whether they be politicians, sitting around in, in the doll bar afterwards, scratching their head, and oh, why is, why is the Ireland team no good anymore? We used to be pretty good. And it's like, well, maybe you guys should, you know, get up off your backsides and put money into the sport. Well, what I think is mad about all of this, not that any of that is illegitimate, but I think it's it's mad that people have, have cause to complain about that in what should be such a marquee year for women's soccer. Like the biggest sporting event of the summer was the women's team qualifying for the World Cup for the first time. Everyone remembers what they were doing when they saw Katie McCabe's corner go in mm. against Canada. And this this idea then that suddenly you go home and it should be this rosy period where they, everyone is suddenly obsessed with what's going on. Like there's a big set piece occasion. It's not part of a double header with the men's final like it used to be. Standalone occasion where you can go and enjoy the thing and enjoy the game in its own merits. And not alone, no ministers, but also the fact that even after such a boon for women's soccer that that was, the money's not coming. 
So like that term find a supporter kind of rings a bell, doesn't it? It's that idea that like, you know, when the World Cup was on and all that, that everyone was willing to rally around and now that the dust has settled on that. So it's just not the same. No, I think it's more, I think there's probably an element of it that people haven't associated themselves with clubs as, as, of, the, as of yet in terms of women's football in the, in the grand sort of general public sense. Mm. Like people will okay. have come across, you know. What Do you mean like that idea of membership, pride of place, participation? Like Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think you're seeing it happen more in England now where support and attendance is at the, domestic games there is going up you're mm. seeing more games happening now in the men's Premier League st- stadiums yeah. so in Stamford Bridge Old Trafford yeah. there's women's the, the, uh, Ma- the Man United and Man City women's teams played in Old Trafford last mm. exactly. Sunday exactly and they're getting good attendances because you're be- because the, the clubs themselves are promoting uh, the women's teams and because there's such a groundswell behind you know the Lionesses the English national team there mm. that it's feeding through into well I want to watch football every week I want yeah. to watch women's football every week there's a great infrastructure and culture around the women's league there that just hasn't grown up yet there is some really good stuff happening Do you think it'll come then that if, if it is the case that the associated men, women's teams to the traditional men's clubs do flourish that it'll come from that? Yeah I hope so but like I mean at the same time like there isn't a huge amount of attendance um, at you know inter-county Camogie and Gaelic football matches sure. in, in in the women's games at this point in time as well. Neither in provincial uh, women's rugby as well. And all these things we see, we see that there is an attendance and there is there for all Ireland finals in these things or for Ireland internationals in the women's games. And of course now for the women's soccer team, you know, selling out yeah. very regularly. They should probably be moving their matches full time to the Aviva mm-hmm. given what's happening. Um, but it's just generally speaking, we're not seeing enough support there. And um, I think that's something which is going to take time to fix because it's a bigger, bigger problem in Irish soccer. Uh, before we go, time to check in on all of our various Netflix habits, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is obviously uh, the first half of season six of The Crown. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of dreadful. Sorry, I don't know whether we can say the two words shorthand because it might be a bit of a spoiler about... Um, it, so it deals with the death of Princess Diana. It's not a spoiler. I mean, it's okay. real, you know... No, yeah. but that the, some of the way in which... That would be a spoiler for... Princess Diana died. Like, it's not yeah, a no, no, not, not the fact that she died. That was 26 years ago. That's fact. Uh, <laughs> the bit about how that's portrayed and how there are some... Oh, who cares? Appearances. All right, you know what? If you're watching this, okay, sorry, turn it off now if you don't want a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Diana appears uh, in a couple of episodes. <laughs> So like I thoroughly enjoyed The Crown, loved it, saw the first few episodes, rattled through them. Actually thought it was very good. I mm. uh, thought the actress who plays Diana is definitely the best Diana I've seen. As in, you know, because there's been people who've played Diana over the years and I just think that they haven't really managed to get her in terms of, you know, the nuances and the facial mm. expressions. This girl is brilliant. This woman is brilliant at playing Diana. I will say that. And I actually thought it was really, really good. I thought it was really well done. Apart from the moment when they have Diana appear as a ghost speaking to Charles on the jet back from France and they're sort of having this kind of, you know, reconcil- moment of reconciliation and uh, you weren't all that bad and you weren't all that bad and I'm like, what? That never happened. <laughs> like, it literally never happened. And I understand that some things and some conversations will be, you know, changed mm. to some degree. But like, ghost Diana literally did not appear to Charles to anyone's knowledge. So I don't know where this came. And then like, we know. ghost Dodi yeah. <laughs> Al-Fayed talking to his father. I was kind yeah. of going, it was all going so well and then I just thought what is this? Well we don't know it didn't happen for certain. Yeah. But I, I well yeah. <laughs> okay. But I do wonder though like is it possibly the case that they took this amount of dramatic license? But who the told the writers of the crown that goes Diana well, appeared to him? It, isn't it possible that like pe- people are complaining now because they sort of almost perceived the crown 
as being almost like historical documentary up to now because they hadn't lived people through do, stuff people, people do watch these things and they take these things on yeah. as, like it does influence how they view yeah. the figures Cause, that cause they portray because if, if you didn't live through the first couple of series of you're like, like, oh, if, like if, you're, if you're not 90 yeah. years old and you have no first hand memory of all the stuff that involved Elizabeth for the first couple of seasons yeah. mm. you're looking at that and you think oh that must be how it went down who's this that, girl that, boss that queen like you know that's what <laughs> it is you know? girl boss queen but I put this on the running order because like there's a backlash against Ghost Diana understandably there's also backlash against um, in, in uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon where Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon fires cannons at the pyramids of Egypt which is something that doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, did that happen in real life? No, it didn't, no. It did. Ridley Scott says it's just to signify how he captured Egypt so he just shot, shot the pyramids. Um, so I don't know, but there's a broader conversation. Happened, right? It's just a broader conversation it's now that version. these Sorry. things which are made based around historical events, like how important is it that they are at least somewhat true to life? I mean, it's quite important, I would say. I'm a big fan of Ghost Diana. Important. You're not a big fan of Ghost Diana. I'm a big You're fan. You're just saying it. I'm You're a big only, fan. He's just saying it to annoy me now. She does a great bashful eye, to be fair. I like it. I want more just, ghost characters. But I would say that I do think that for the most part, there were good, like, I actually felt that it was the most, uh, not most accurate, but I felt it was the most likely to be real until the ghost section. Like I've watched, there, I've watched every documentary about the royal family. I have watched every interview Diana ever gave. Like I've watched all these things multiple times over and over again. I've no problem saying that. And I did think that this was very good up until the ghost moment. Was there not a problem? There's some backlash or some criticism about the portrayal of Dodi Al Fayed and the Muhammad Al Fayed thing that it was a bit that it makes them into yeah. a bit. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's portrayed that Muhammad sort of. engineered the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was engaged to another woman, and yeah. that this relationship was basically engineered by Muhammad for yeah. social climbing, or that ultimately that he'd have some diplomatic pressure. Yeah. That's strongly him. denied by people in in that, that yeah, that you camp. Would yeah, yeah. It does. It definitely does portray it like that. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, mm. but is that like slightly problematic? I would say, yeah. Well, it's problematic if it's not true, and that it's not fair to kind of besmirch people. Well, like, exactly, and I mean, it kind of goes back to like the difference between fact and fiction. You know what I mean? It's a fiction based on fact, but it's not. But if you're watching fact. a Netflix series like this, are you actually looking for it's not a docu- historical series. docudrama? Yeah, but I think you have. Like, an, you, there's an element of duty you do have to not completely destroy a person. Yeah, and just not like make people believe absolutely insane things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because people will. People are impressionable. People's depiction, like the Michael Collins film for example that did colour people's perceptions mm. of Eamon de Valera for example yeah. people had and there was you know a lot That's of historical really well when you're portrayed by Snape and uh, the guy from the, gr- the, one, the greatest baddie of all time yeah. he's great and um, the man who cheated on your woman in love actually yeah, yeah just serial baddie I've never so, but, but it, it, these things do matter these things do matter because it does influence how people see these uh, people so it's a bit of responsibility there I'm all for poetic and artistic license I'm all for ghost Diana as I say and <laughs> oh, uh, long may they continue to make it I hope she makes many re- uh, repeat appearances uh, in the Christmas version <laughs> of uh, season season six of yeah. The Crown. Uh, best wishes to... In The to Crown's Christmas special. I do have to tell you before Brown. we go, because go you'll, well, you'll enjoy this. You know, we laugh at how I don't delete emails. Correct. But Richard has spent the morning <laughs> trying to help me unblock I'm my inbox. I'm trying to do mine as well, actually. Well, yours is actually, yeah, but mine's worse than his. Uh, 12 days I haven't received an email in. Mine, mine is my now actually better than so yeah. Yours is actually just like... No, mine's worse than now than yours, sorry, because you But I've yours. improved mine yeah. since before we came yeah. in here. I've, I've deleted yours 8%. is only better because Richard has taken some some yeah. taken a heavier Malai chainsaw yeah, well yours is just not box. working whereas you helped me to fix mine but yours yeah. isn't working mine is, still, mine is yet to be repaired yeah. what's your current account for WhatsApp unreads my unread WhatsApp conversation yeah. last time it was my... in the low 300s what are you now 387 that's worse 
Oh, it is. No. Well, it's yeah. slightly worse. That's all. No, it's 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 quite a bit worse. If you uh, text me and I don't text you back, no, it's not personal. You're and if, if you email the same bracket with everyone, else. and if you email her, she's just not going to get it. You just get a bounce back. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everyone involved in putting the whole thing together, and even the gallery, and even on the floor, Aubrey, Rory, uh, Ross, Tommy, Tommy, everyone else who's been involved in putting the whole thing together. Thank you, Zara. Thank you, Richard. Uh, we will see you again same time next week. Until then, cheerio. Bye. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.